This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. All right, it's 319 here on the Blitz 1170, streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app. My name is Jeremy Poplin. That is Bryce Hulse, Colby Daniels alongside as well. Dr. Chris Crane from Tulsa Bone and Joint coming up at 355. Dusty Dvorak will check in with us in the 5 o'clock hour. But first, let's hit up that hotline and welcome in... Well, a familiar name and familiar voice and face. He is Rick Dixon, the athletic director at the University of Tulsa, joining us here on The Blitz. Rick, good afternoon, sir. Hope that you are doing well on this August day. Good afternoon, guys. Good to be with you. Good to be uh, on the line with you. We have a variety of things that we would like to discuss with you, and we'll save probably the the juicy stuff that's on everyone's mind now in terms of college (laughs) athletics here towards the end, because I know you got some thoughts on it. Where I wanted to start first, though, with you, Rick, is overall health of NIL at the University of Tulsa. Uh, I just saw a report a few moments ago that said, for instance, the 12th Man Fund at A&M is no longer going to accept or solicit NIL-specific donations. Unrestricted donations will still be used for NIL deals for A&M athletes to market the foundation. What's the health like right now for a school like that you're at at the University of Tulsa when it comes to NIL in this landscape that we currently exist in? Yeah, you know, like like kind of our whole environment right now, you know, volatile, chaotic, uh, everything that's going on in intercollegiate athletics. Uh, A lot of of it, um, guys, you know, it's attributed back to uh, the new ruling uh, you know the IRS, and and when they were determined to be non-deductible do, uh, donations to these uh, different entities, the NIL, the collectives in particular, uh, put certainly a different spin uh, on it than what was originally uh, assumed and being operated with. So uh, I don't see. You know, we I think we've been pretty just pragmatic and and deliberate about uh, how we created ours. The people aspect of it was the most important thing for us in order, in order to really receive approval and a green light at the university, uh, you know, had to assure the board that whoever represented any of those agencies on our behalf would be credible uh, uh, people. And uh, we we're fortunate that uh, uh, two former student athletes, uh, one of them here from my time uh, earlier in the 90s uh, that happens to be in that space and the, and the investment and money management side of it uh, was kind of the key uh, catalyst in, in uh, creating the Hurricane Impact, which is our collective. And, uh, and then additionally, we also partnered uh, with our media rights partner with Learfield, uh, Open Doors, uh, those companies, uh, to give our student athletes, you know, access into the marketplace, and uh, and those guys worked closely with us to make sure we weren't cannibalizing and and really going after the same people for support. You know, emphasized to them early on that we we can't just redirect money, money that historically, you know, has supported all. TU programs, all TU student-athletes, for example, through our GHC. We just released last week or a couple of weeks ago that at the end of this past fiscal year, you know, we set our all-time record in terms of both donors and and uh, donation level. And uh, 
So it's important that we continue to, you know, grow that pie instead of uh, cannibalizing or redirecting because you really just lose ground or go backwards if you do that. So I'm, I'm you know, pleased that we're operating, uh, that it's available and accessible. Yet at the other part of it, and this is, I think, one that gets overlooked a little bit. Part of that Austin legislation was uh, to tell universities or send the message very clearly you can no longer restrict an athletic scholarship just the way it's been defined over 100 years of, you know, tuition, room, book, and board, that there was there has been, always has been a gap between the the real and actual cost of education and expenses and what an athletic scholarship, even one we called a full scholarship. And what they ended up negotiating was a uh, approximately a 6000 per student athlete enhancement. And we really focused on that part of it. We'll probably be announcing uh, right at the beginning of the of the academic semester, right before Labor Day. What we've been able to achieve there, which I'm, I'm more than pleased uh, in our first year, uh, we will announce it and, and actually assign a name to it of one of the lead donors that helped us create it. For now, we've been calling it, and as we were soliciting all spring, calling it the Academic Enhancement Fund, which is really just additional scholarship is what it amounts to. And I've really been pleased. You know, we anticipated we'd get a better response if people were still giving to scholarships, still giving to the university. And the response was was significant and overwhelming, which we're pleased with. Uh, I I cautioned our coaches in the last year if, you know, we are going to work with credible people uh, to create a collective. It's something that's a a box you needed to check. And uh, but yet at the same time, uh, you know, our expectations needed to be more focused on the retention of TU student athletes. It's not, it's not with the intent and purpose to enter auctions. We, you know, we, we wouldn't win them anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't make sense to engage in something that, you know, you, you didn't have a high probability of success in. So I think we were, we were thoughtful and, and pragmatic about it. And, it's kind of played out. I even threw out a figure uh, to our coaches uh, in a, a year ago, and we're pretty close. Uh, maybe by a little bit of exceeded that figure, and then and then gave them also a, a kind of a conservative number. I thought we could hit on the enhancement, academic enhancement side of this, and and we've been able to exceed that as well. So, um, I just think every you know every every school has got to kind of chart their own course. It's not as you, as you guys have figured, you know, from the outside, none of it's a level playing field for sure. (laughs) And so rather than being overwhelmed or led or influenced by that, you'd need to chart your own course and say, what is it we can do and do successfully, but also sustain it and, and, you know, be able to identify and then, enter that into the relationship you develop through recruiting with athletes and families and just be honest and straightforward and say, this is, this is, uh, you know, this is who we are. This is, these are the things that we uh, invest in. Here's what we believe in. uh, And here's what we're able to deliver Uh, because we're, you know, we're to really portray anything otherwise would be, 
disingenuous and, and not realistic and not successful. I'm just curious hearing you talk, how much has your job specifically changed in just the last two or three years? I would imagine it's it's almost close to like 180 degrees, right? This Kobe? It is. Yes, Kobe. So good question. Uh, you got to remember my job three years ago was being a consultant and helping a number of my AD proteges around the country and then being the best granddad and fly fisherman that I could be. So it's, it's changed a lot since then, but, but, you know, really entering back into it and, and, uh, just, you know, kind of grappling with and, and dealing with all the significant change that, uh, that exists today. You know, it's, uh, you know, kind of, I guess what I said at the top, kind of volatile and chaotic and, and certainly fluid because it's ever changing, you know, every day, every week, there's new interpretations, new rulings. And a lot of it, guys, as you know, is this wasn't something, you know, this came at us in a different way than any legislation or laws or anything we've ever dealt with. It came it came to us through litigation, not through the normal, you know, voting through conferences, voting through the NCAA, getting everybody's input. It was legislated to us. And along with that came very little, if any, guidance and interpretation, uh, you know, from the NCAA because it didn't emanate from within. It came from from outside through litigation, and so there was not not really adequate leadership and uh, you know any direction that would, that came forth from our from our own governing body, the NCAA. That's really, really to me that's. If you look at any difference in the 30-plus years I've been in this, is everything we've ever dealt with, reacted to, adhered to, has all come through that, you know, that other model. And yeah. that, that, that didn't exist in, in this instance, in all these instances of things that came to us as a result of legislation. Hey, Rick, I know you got to be out at 335, so we've got about five minutes, and I don't know where we even begin with five minutes on conference realignment and the volatile nature that is. I don't even know if you could describe it all in three days, uh, let alone five minutes, but the volatile nature that you've mentioned right now, do do the average does the average fan have any idea truly what's going on behind the scenes right now with all of these moving parts? And the only thing that you can really do is, is kind of control what you can control within your own athletic department. I heard, I heard an old AMAD one time say, Hey, athletics is the front porch of the university. You guys have done a really good job of sprucing up the, the, the front porch and kind of redesigning it. Um, but where, where are we at right now in this weird landscape that is college athletics? Yeah. Jeremy, it's, it's, you know, without being redundant, it certainly is all those things. And, uh, and for me, it, it, you know, strikes close to home, obviously, you know, starting out West, what we just saw unfold, uh, beginning last Thursday, Friday, and through the weekend, uh, to, to even wrap your head around or try to try to digest the fact that, you know, like for me, it's always, because of my own experience there, Pac-10, but Pac-12 conference, you know, uh, uh, when I went there in the, in, in the mid-90s was the preeminent top-to-bottom conference in the country. 
and and for it to no longer, for all intents and purposes, exist is is mind-boggling. And even think back for us, you know, the Oklahomans, Tulsans, and here locally, think back just two summers ago, shortly after the Oklahoma-Texas uh, defection and announcement, where uh, where all the emphasis and and speculation and activity and conversations going on were about. Uh, would the Big 12 survive? Uh, because many of those institutions were looking west. And and when that didn't materialize, uh, it allowed the Big 12 to kind of stabilize, which in turn impacted us in our conference uh, as we lost you know, three members going forward this year. And uh, so it has that kind of ripple effect. And this will too, I'm sure, uh, you know, I, I can tell you for sure, because it pretty much absorbed my entire weekend that there's been uh, continuous and ongoing conversations, including with the remaining schools out West and, and, and many others as well. And, and that's not unique to Tulsa or the American athletic conference. I think like these things do when you have, you know, seismic moves in this case, there were uh, eight of them that occurred, uh, you know, that has, that has, uh, uh, ripple effects across the entire country. You know, they're obviously on the east east coast of, of the country right now. Now that conference is in the middle of their own discussions and conversations and interactions and so forth. And it, I think it all really stems or ties back to, and I, I've kind of felt this way over the last two or three years, even before I got back into it, I, I've felt like there's been a kind of an organic uh, migration of these large brands. I know we're so conditioned to thinking of conferences and regionality uh, and, and history and tradition, but you almost have to, to step back and reset and say, those things, even though in, in, in name uh, still exist, they don't drive and rule the, the direction and activities of today. And I say that thinking, I mean, just, just think back less than 24 months ago, if you had said, name the top 10 iconic athletic brands in the country, well, certainly four of them would have been the two major ones, Texas OU and the USC UCLA, that made the, the first seismic moves that, that triggered other ones as well. But you start just with those four. Whoever thought they would be, locating and relocating into different time zones, different conferences, those things. But it's that's kind of circumstantial. And this, again, just my observation, opinion. I really feel like this migration is about brands just kind of coagulating together in different areas. They're, I almost look at the conferences now as like docking stations, <laughs> and people are moving from one area to the next, right? It's not about yeah. – it's not about tradition. It's not about rivalry. It's not about geography, which those all three of those things were core and essential to conferences for for a century. Now this is about brands just you know coagulating together, and we see that happening towards two directions. Um, and then I don't I I really strongly believe it's it's not ended that the you know, the end game in this is not about some or two or three conferences emerging and everybody, everything is settled. I don't, I don't know that there'll be conferences at some point. 
at least as we know it, you might have ultimately 32, 36, whatever number of schools that just form a league like like we see above us, like in NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and and they have divisions, West Coast, Central, East Coast, Northern, Southern, whatever, but they just operate as a league, and they don't they don't need uh, you know the the platform of a conference. They just operate. Look, doesn't matter where you're located. We all we all have commonalities, whether it's our brand, our our reach, our followings, those things. Let's collectively go together and go to the marketplace and get every single dollar that 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 this product will will garner and and then and then we're looking at that and then you know for me that's that's kind of where i see the end game at at the highest level because um you know that i i think the whole conference model piece uh that served us for all this time now is being strained and pushed in a direction that there's that at least my opinion is I don't know that they'll exist shortly down the road. I think that's very well said. Um, real quick before we let you go, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the new college football playoff model that was just created. And now I, I know Greg Sankey was speaking on this yesterday about maybe reexamining what the uh, automatic qualifiers versus the at-large bids are until we get to a point where maybe there's some sort of separation within FBS football, do you think that in the immediate immediate future we see that new CFP structure change? I'm sure there'll be, I'm sure, you know, depending on what that final outcome is out West with the Pac-12, you know, there's, there's obviously not a fifth power conference. You know, it was always kind of debatable whether which ones were or which ones really weren't. Uh, but, you know, officially – uh, even if they try to reform under that brand, it will not be, it won't go forward as a power conference. And so there's probably some reaction to, well, you know, one soldier's down, maybe we should go back to the table and, and reallocate or, or kind of reconfigure the access part of this. Uh, but the good, you know, here's what I would say overall. And ever since this happened, I think, I think it's actually, the most significant thing that has happened in the last 20 plus years, ever since BCS and then became FBS uh, existed was, you know, once that door opened and said, uh, you know, your, your top champions doesn't matter what, what your, you know, what artificial titles there are, power five, group of five, anything before it was BCS, non BCS doesn't matter. Uh, It, you know, by by all measurements, whatever ratings used, if you were a champion of a top six rated conference, you were in, and and then the next six highest rated programs. If you if if that had been in place, just don't forget FB or BCS, but just since 2014 and the onset of the FBS playoff, eight out of ten times this conference would have qualified. That's that's third out of all the conferences in the country, including other power conferences. So, you know, what we've always maintained is if it's based on competition, we'll be fine. Uh, If it's based on rules, policies made in a boardroom, then we're fighting uphill. So that's, that's what really became, I think, more significant than people realized is that 
wait a minute, we've been ultra competitive. In fact, what, two years ago, three years ago, we were competing in a championship game that would have put us in a New Year's Day bowl uh, had we not come short uh, by a field goal, uh, like Tulane did with the Cotton Bowl last year, like Cincinnati's done and made it beyond that into the playoffs. This league has always shown we can compete. And, and that's really, this is the first time that there was a clearer path. I think what uh, uh, Jeremy, uh, uh, that you might have, you know, there'll likely be some discussion should it only be, you know, uh, four top four or top five conference champions instead of six, and then either seven or eight at large. You know, I'm sure there'll be some of those discussions once that once that final kind of resolution of the Pac-12 is done officially. Rick, I know you got to run. Thanks so much for your time today. Sorry if we made you late to your Thank next you appointment at all. Uh, no. I'll, I'll see you at Motley Crew, right? Coming up next Tuesday. Let's go. You might see me on the outskirts. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great rest of your day, Rick. Rick, thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That is Rick Dixon, the athletic director at the University of Tulsa, joining us here on the Blitz 1170. It's streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app. What? I don't I, – I would love to see – like Rick roll out there with that little leather whip thing that that Alex Cooper has when he when he takes his rightful spot on the stage. I can see Rick getting down to some Motley Crue and Def Leppard for sure coming up at the uh, concert series over at Chapman Stadium. All right, crack some tall boys with us. It, maybe so. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe so. All right, it's three forty. We need to hit a uh, timeout here. We'll come back. We'll have a quick segment. Dr. Crane will join us at 3.55 this afternoon. We'll talk blood clots. We'll also talk uh, injuries with a few of your favorite fantasy players, or at least one of your favorite fantasy players in Tony Pollard. And Dusty Dvorak will join us in the 5 o'clock hour as well. That's coming up here this afternoon right here on the Blitz 1170, streaming live with the BlitzTulsa.com and on our app from the Ike's Chili House Studios. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.